Welcome to Urban Foundry. All opinions expressed by Andrew Urban, Paige O'Neill, and our castmates are solely our own opinions and do not reflect the opinions of Collier's International, Inc. This podcast is for informational purposes only and should not be relied upon for any investment decisions. Clients of Collier's International may maintain positions in the properties discussed in this podcast. Welcome back to the Urban Foundry podcast, your go-to source for urban real estate news and conversations. I'm Andrew Urban. And I'm Paige O'Neill, and we will be your co-hosts as we explore the future of downtown real estate. This This is Urban Urban Foundry. Foundry. Welcome back to Urban Foundry. You're here with Andrew Urban and Paige O'Neill. And we have another great episode for you. We're sitting here today with Jen Disbro and Kate Porter from Adult and Child Health. Jen and Kate, welcome to the Urban Foundry podcast. Welcome, ladies. Thank you. Welcome, welcome. And for full disclosure for our listeners, Adult and Child has been one of our amazing clients. Over the past few years, we've helped them with some really amazing real estate. But in the process, we got to get to know them a little bit more. And they were somewhat of a non-traditional client for our team that typically focuses on you know the big Fortune 500 clients and portfolio strategy. But we got to deploy all the same things with them. But in the process, we learned about their mission and vision. And that's what we really want to talk about today. So Perfect. Jen, Kate, you want to just introduce adult and child a little bit yourselves to our listeners? Sure. So hi, everybody. I'm Jen Desbro. I'm the vice president of our community and specialty programs at Adult and Child. I just had my 12-year anniversary, so I'm celebrating that. Today is actually my anniversary day. Hey, congrats. Uh, That's awesome. And before that, I was an employee for 10 years, so total uh, 22 years. Um, So it's a great organization with a lot of heart. So we are not a Fortune 500, but if we were measuring with our hearts, we are way more important than a Fortune 500, I believe. Adult and Child is a community mental health center providing services in primarily Marion County and Johnson County, and then some surrounding counties outside of Johnson. We are also a federally qualified FQHC, a federally qualified healthcare center lookalike. So we're in the process of certification And so we provide primary care and primary health care services to the community. So not only enrolled clients at adult and child, but in the community. And we are a licensing foster placement agency. So we work with foster youth and licensing homes and licensing families. Wow. That's a lot. That is a lot. It's a lot. That's a lot. Yeah. And, and a lot of the clients as well, I mean, you know, foster is obviously a very difficult situation, right? And then on top of it, you provide primary as well as mental health services. Mm-hmm. And a lot of these, these things really interrelate a lot, right? At the they end do. of the day. And so sometimes you're touching people that are maybe part of the foster system, but with some of your other services as well that are kind of required, right? Yeah. I mean, I think that's uh, one of the reasons we ventured into primary care is that we figured that we were you know, serving similar clients in different pools of treatment. And so we wanted to be able to have comprehensive health not only focusing on behavioral health, but the whole physical health of an individual. You know, our adult clients have some pretty significant medications that they take and health issues and finding really good quality primary care health has always been a challenge. So why not why not create it and do it? Yeah. Yeah. yeah that's great. Yeah. That's awesome. So that's it's, what we did. That's no, it's it's amazing. Kate, tell us a little bit about yourself. Yeah. So my name is Kate Porter. I am the marketing manager for adult and child health. I'm not quite the veteran that Jen is. I've only been here about a year and a half, but I am learning more and more about the organization every day. All the different services you can provide, as Jen kind of touched on, it's pretty expansive. I feel like you covered a lot of the, <laughs> the good. Well, 22 years, that's that's a long time. It's, 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 it's history for sure. You must love it because... To stay in one job for that long is that's yeah. off to you. I think it speaks to my mission, mm-hmm. and you know, adult and child health has a very good mission driven for a best and practice care for individuals seeking kind of the treatment and services that we provide, and so. It is definitely a organization that has been near and dear to my heart since I graduated early on with my bachelor's degree and went on to get a master's degree and work my way up. It's a, an organization that allows opportunity. So Kate being here a year, you know, and some change, 
the experience is totally different than than when I onboarded and started many many moons ago. And I can tell obviously tell stories of what it used to be and where we've <laughs> come. We as an organization started. I think in the late 40s as just a outpatient center and moving towards where we are today. So it's a lot of growth, a lot of location changes, um, service uh, practice change and kind of responding and answering to the communities that we serve. Right. And and to kind of get our listeners kind of up to speed, you know, obviously there's big community health systems, right? Like in Indianapolis, IU Health, Ashkenazi and others, right? Where does adult and child fit in that landscape between that and private practices, you know, with some of these services? Obviously, the foster care services are a little bit different because those are often tied uh, to different state agencies, et cetera. But primary and mental health services, where does that fit kind of in that ecosystem? Well, (laughs) that's a good question. Um, You know, as a provider in Marion County, we have a, a few other agencies that are providing the same service. Um, We are a a smaller size than some of those other organizations or agencies, but we have different specialties that I think play on the needs of our clients differently. Kate, I don't know if you have anything yeah, else to Yeah, one of the things, so one of the aspects of us being a federally qualified health center includes that we, so our primary care services, we, we primarily serve individuals in underserved areas. Our patients are able to access services based on a sliding fee scale. So based on their income, we don't, we don't deny anyone access to care based on their ability to pay. And then another aspect of being a federally qualified health center is that we have a board of directors that includes patients and community members. Right. So those all kind of influence the way that we um, run our organization as well. So that's a little different than what you would get at, you know, a bigger hospital. Correct. Or something like that. Right. Correct. Which is awesome. Yeah. Well, that's, that's the one thing that really kind of, you know, intrigued me as I started working and learning about the organization, right? Obviously we're engaged to help with some real estate moves that are going to be pretty big news and I think pretty transformational. But as I learned about kind of the population, you know, that the organization serves, uh, the more and more I saw it tying into the broader community and a lot of needs that we see in the space, it seems like this space traditionally has been underserved somewhat, right? Yeah, These are underserved absolutely. populations. That's one of the terms that I, I've really learned a lot about. And it seems like a lot of the issues that you guys are addressing are multifaceted, mm-hmm. right? And and to kind of, Jen, your, your discussion about the evolution of the organization, a lot of that's been because we're starting to understand as a society, it's not just about, hey, I'm sick physically, Right. In a lot of cases, and I know you guys also do some stuff with homeless outreach and affordable housing that we haven't even touched on yet, that kind of really look at it more holistically for some of the most vulnerable people in in our communities, correct? Correct. And I think, you know, we haven't talked about a program that we have that is for homeless outreach. And I think that opportunity to outreach to individuals and bring them into service is a little bit of a different approach. If I were a major hospital, you know, they're there for for individuals to walk in to receive treatment and service. And we have a different approach. So yes, people can walk in and receive service, but the other approach is outreaching to the community and explaining what services we have and bringing individuals in for that care, especially persons that are experiencing homelessness, which we know they don't always receive mental health and physical health treatment on the regular basis. Mm -hmm. So this allows them to have, you know, a location that they can receive those services all in one place. Another crucial aspect of that, like whole person comprehensive health care is this was an example given to me when I first started working at ANC is you know you have an individual who might come in and need treatment for diabetes but a lot of times those diabetes medications need to be refrigerated but you have to look and take a step back and say okay does this individual have access to a refrigerator do they have a refrigerator do they have you know the ability to get to um, a location where they could get those medications so it's not just what conditions are we treating with this individual it's what are the social determinants of health surrounding them that might limit their access to the services that we're able to provide them. Yeah. And it and it's interesting. I know there's been a lot of stats and I think some of this is starting to make major media kind of attention 
I mean, in your guys' experience, and I'm sure you have a lot of data that speaks to this, but have you seen a growth in the need for this? I mean, I, I, I think so. I mean, we're talking about homeless more in major cities. Uh, housing affordability has basically, in, in a lot of places, is untenable for the average person, especially lower on the socioeconomic ladder. And, and the other thing is healthcare costs in this country in general have skyrocketed. I was having lunch with the adult and child CEO, Alan Brown, who's, who's a great gentleman, very knowledgeable. And there was a recent report that said Indiana was the number one cost per, per I can't remember what per unit was, but it was one of the highest cost per visit or per treatment states in the country. Yeah. Right. And you think about that and you go, Indiana has this low cost of living, et cetera, and all these things we tout, but at the same time, our healthcare costs are our number one Mm-hmm. Right, compared to a lot of other other systems, have you guys seen a big growth in need, and has maybe even like COVID and the pandemic and these economic gyrations only accelerated some of this because of those factors? I mean, I would say yes. I think that the access people had to resources, including insurance, changed a lot in the middle midst of COVID. People losing employment and you know financial status change. Uh, So I think us being a non-for-profit in the behavioral health side of things, and also with being the FQ and primary care, and our focus is on individuals regardless of of kind of their ability to pay. So I think, you know, being able to provide much needed health care in an environment, um, those that wouldn't typically qualify for some some of our services are now qualifying based on financial assistance and financial need. I think another aspect of that might be, at least in my perception, you know, maybe there's always been a certain amount of individuals needing these types of services. But I think as a society, we're getting a little bit better at listening and being aware of that. And just the the stigma, I mean, obviously it's not gone by any means and there's still a lot of work to do. But I think increasingly we're getting better at seeing that these are individuals that deserve help and need help and that we can help. And there are a lot of different ways that we as a healthcare organization can come together and sort of meet all of those varying interconnected needs and um, allow people to get healthcare despite the challenges they might be facing. Right. So for um, those that are experiencing homelessness, our street outreach team used to be two individuals. It is more than tripled in size, varying funding available to grow the ability to connect with this population that does continue to seem to grow and be able to provide immediate resources, work on, you know, housing applications and some of those things that there's more problems related to housing, but, you know, at least that there is the efforts and, and, you know, it's a slow engagement. So persons that have been chronically homeless, Mm -hmm. it's a slow process to build trust, Mm -hmm. to talk about mental health, to talk about physical health, to address those needs. It, it, it is not a quick, hi, I work at adult child. <laughs> Let me show you the door. Right. It is, it's, you know, it's a long game for some of these individuals. We did an episode a few weeks ago about a doctor out in it was Boston, right? Yeah. In Boston that did similar work to what you guys are doing. And the, the common message there was these are still individuals that need our help. And I think you're correct, Kate. And as a society, we're getting more comfortable about having those uncomfortable conversations and trying to break down that stigma around it. So hats off to you guys because it's yeah. imperative work and not everyone we can sit here. I mean, Andrew and I can sit here and talk about it, but yeah. like, when push Someone's comes to shove, it. you guys are the ones actually going out and doing it. And there, you know, you mentioned foster care, you know, there's a growing population of, of underserved individuals and those are aging out of foster care. So we call it kind of the transition age youth period from 18 to 25. So there's a lot of efforts being given to this age group of population that are finding themselves homeless and they're not considered that chronic homeless. So they're access to the resources, you know, aren't as quick as some of those individuals that are kind of higher up on the need spectrum. And you would think that the need for younger individuals so that they don't live mm-hmm. a chronic homeless lifestyle. So I think this is a population that we're very passionate about. We've been able to get funding and different efforts to really focus on partnerships with agencies that provide service to mm-hmm. transition age youth. 
we have grant funding that helps pay for services focused on that. So it's a growing population. They do a point in time count every year to kind of get a snapshot of that time frame where what's the population that we're looking at. Of course, it's not, you know, the most, it's, it's how we count, um, you know, Mm -hmm. individuals and Mm -hmm. kind of categorize what areas are needed the most. But I think that there's a, you know, a population that's growing and that's transition age youth. Yeah, no, that's interesting. You bring that up. And the more you you, you started talking about that, I thought about putting myself in in that place, right? So, so you you know, you've been in the foster care system for whatever reason, Mm -hmm. right? And I know in the Midwest, at least over the last, you know, we'll call it, I don't know, almost 10 years, there's been a drug epidemic, whether that's heroin or other forms of drugs, that a lot of these kids end up in that, in that system as a result. And, and the reality is, is it, they're in a foster care system. They're not, you know, permanently placed, right, to begin with. And then they reach a certain age, right, that we've arbitrarily determined is 18 years old, and they're no longer in the system. And they're, okay, you're free to go, <laughs> right? But, you know, at the same time, you know, most people in a different situation still have parents. Maybe they're going to college. Maybe they're doing it some sort of trade school. They usually have some sort of stable housing, some sort of relationship, right? Guidance, et cetera. And a lot of these, these young adults are basically being spit out of the system and saying, good luck finding your way in life when there's all these trappings along the way. And then there's a lack of affordable housing. There's all these things that can push them into homelessness or transient homelessness that might look a little different than we sometimes assume or see on the street corner. But at the same time, they're facing a lot of those same issues, right? Right. And they're, you know, couch surfing or living in hotels, motels. I will say that some of the youth are given the opportunity to remain into the system and do collaborative care or, you know, get support. But for whatever reason, they can make it also a choice to stop. And so those youth that don't want that system to continue to follow them, continue to provide regulations and, and, you know, expectations, they can choose to, to, to kind of leave that system. And so when they do, it's a unique place because of, of the age that they are, they're legal adults, but the access to, to services may not really fit them. So adult community-based service may not fit their needs because they're still trying to explore things like higher education, trade school, you know, employment, they may not have a lot of that experience and navigating medical care, behavioral health care and advocating for themselves so that self-advocacy needs to be developed at times. So yeah, it's a, it's a fun and vulnerable population to work with. And it's great to see as they get the support where they can go with that. And affordable housing, you you mentioned it several times, that is, it's a hard situation. And so sometimes entering into roommate situations, which doesn't always go well. Right. Yeah. We've <laughs> right. all had bad roommates. <laughs> I've probably been a all bad of roommate us. I've too. been a bad roommate, I think. Yeah, yeah. I think at least one point, allegedly. <laughs> no comment. <laughs> That's fair. <laughs> I do have a funny story. I guess I'll share it. So my freshman year of college, I, uh, I moved into like a quad. So there was three other gentlemen in the, in the room with me. And after that first weekend, one of the gentlemen immediately was like moving out. Really? <laughs> and I'm pretty sure I was the culprit. I'm, no, I know I was yeah, the you, culprit. Yeah. I, I was. I, yeah. I, I, but I think about that privilege a little bit, right? And you don't reflect on it at 18 years old. That I had parents that you know sent me off for college and I had a scholarship and everything was paid for. And I'd went to a really good private school and I was, you know, kind of prepared for that, but it was also a safety net there mm-hmm. that my parents, you know, were going to, you know, support my, my monthly allowance, et cetera. And obviously provide me healthcare, provide me all these things, then obviously give parental ship guidance, right. That we do with, with, with our children. And it's interesting because, you know, in life I found and there was a big aha moment when I started working with ANC and working with people like you guys and really learning about what you guys do and who you're addressing. There's these segments of the population that we don't even like a lot of people in our, our industry in commercial real estate don't even know exist. Mm-hmm. Right. But we have to deal with a lot of these community based issues when we're working on developments, et cetera. And a lot of us come from this position of privilege, right. You know, or, Mm-hmm. And Absolutely. I think that's that's a huge blind spot for us, 
when we think about it, right? We think about things in terms of pro formas and capital markets and investor appetite for things and what can we get done, can't get done feasibly. And a lot of times we really miss the boat on what these communities need and what the marketplace maybe even needs. Yeah. You know, tell me a little, we keep coming back to affordable housing. Maybe it's me. Maybe, (laughs) maybe it's some of your guys' conversations, right? Because even Kate, what you were sharing about just having a refrigerator, Mm -hmm. right? Or in case having a permanent address or having to send medicine to, right. To send medicine Mm -hmm. to, right. To register, to, to receive, you know, whatever benefits, et cetera, is not something that a lot of people have that you serve. So, so talk us to us a little bit more about affordable housing, how that fits in with ANC and what you guys are starting to think are some of these root causes, right. In, in the services you guys are trying to provide, because I think at the end of the day, I think, Adult and child's goal is not necessarily a corporation to say, let's get these clients, let's keep them in the store for as long as possible so we can bill all these services and keep them, keep them kind of, you know, sell them the treatment, not the cure. You guys legitimately want to cure them in, in some way. Maybe that's not the right term, but I think a success story might be is that, hey, they started with our services. Now they're great members of society working and, you know, filling their obligation. They don't need to come to us all the time. Right. I think that's a success story for ANC. So tell us a little bit more about what are some of the root causes? How does affordable fit within that? And what should the community be more aware of for a lot of these vulnerable populations? I think one thing for me, like I've really had to have a change in the mindset that I look at this, these issues with, because to me, mental health, homelessness, the housing issue, that all seems like such a big insurmountable thing. You know, how do you solve it? But you have to look at it as you're not necessarily going to solve this. You know, ANC can't be everything to every right. client we serve, which I think kind of shows that we are operating in a community where we're reaching out to a lot of different organizations and we have a lot of really great partnerships within our community. I appreciate, Kate, your statement of it It takes kind of a village, right? We have so many great partners and in even even you all being come, becoming a partner in, 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 you know, building a new location, new building for us. And I think the opportunity for us to capitalize on those partnerships. So sometimes it's just a referral partnership. You know, we might be within that building sometimes providing service. We have a partnership with Wheeler Women's Shelter women and children's shelter. So we provide mental health treatment within that, but we also provide our homeless outreach services, you know, Outreach Inc., who really specializes working with transition age youth, so the 18 to 25. So we kind of, there's a lot of organizations that have specialties that kind of help us capture individuals, provide service. Um, But you're, you're absolutely right that we can't be everything to everyone. And I think we do take a look at different funding opportunities, different partnerships that can help meet the needs that we're seeing come come to light with individuals that we're serving in the community. Um, but some things are our area of expertise and some aren't. And right. so sometimes we have to say that that's not in our wheelhouse or if it needs to be in our wheelhouse, we have to figure out maybe how to help create that or how to build that um, to better, better serve individuals. And, you know, I think... I think it helps the clients that we serve and not everyone's enrolled in our services at adult and child that we do serve. So we do permanent supported housing um, through HUD. And so we receive clients through coordinated entry that are not always enrolled at adult and child, but we provide them their housing case management and their housing. So our goal is to help search for affordable housing with them. And so those are services that we provide. And I think you know, our uh, clients internally or anyone that is diagnosed with mental illness who's experienced homelessness or not, or housing insecure, sometimes we like to say, mm-hmm. I think that their income ranges from like 700 a month to maybe 1200 if lucky and, you know, had maybe had employment, held employment at one point in time or, or whatever that looks like for them. So social security and disability don't pay a lot. Um, so when you talk about your monthly budget for housing, yeah. mm-hmm. you know, that can go, when you talk about affordable housing, that really can go towards your entire month's rent. Yeah. I mean, I, I would be hard pressed to find 
many options. Yeah. Even with that monthly take home, you know, in the market and Indianapolis, just so you guys know, is, is ranked one of the hottest markets for multifamily rent growth in the yeah. country. It beat out South Florida and some of the other major markets. I did see that. Yeah. Which right? is concerning. Which is concerning, right? I mean, obviously we live in a world where our clients cheer that because that means their investments are doing really well. But then I also think about kind of like the dynamic you were talking about going, yeah, but there's there's a huge portion of the population that there's no way they can afford those rents mm-hmm. on a market basis. Yeah. Right? And that's if they have income. That's right. You know, some people have zero income. That's right. You're talking about averages, yeah. right? Yeah. So there's zero uh-huh. at one <laughs> end of the scale. That there's some people that are above, but you know that's yeah. the middle range, right? The the middle band of the distribution yeah. curve. And the other thing that we know, right, and 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 is that affordable housing in general for most major metros has not kept up with the need. Mm-hmm. Right. The article that Paige mentioned that we did a full episode just talking through city of Los Angeles needs roughly 660,000 affordable units. Now, granted, that's a metro area of over 25 million people. Right. So the scale is not going to be on par with Indianapolis. But if you think about that, 660,000 units of affordable stock is what their current gap is. Yeah, that's a lot. That's a lot. I think the investment behind it was one point. Two billion, and that would only create ten thousand units. Yeah, and that was done by the city through a levy <laughs> and a, a special assessment on sales tax. So, I mean, kudos to that mayor, you know, to have that credit and that political clout to say we got to do something about this as a city, right. and to have citizens say, you know what, we have to do something about it. And we're going to have to put our money where our mouth is, but it solves twelve percent of the issue. Twelve mm-hmm. percent. Yeah. You're still, you know, down 88% of what your need is, mm-hmm. right? And so, you know, the thing is, the cities around the country are facing that kind of growing shortage, right? And there's more and more uh, economic insecurity for a lot of these populations. Um, and even with market rate development, et cetera, in some of these neighborhoods, you know, we talk about gentrification quite a bit. Well, it displaces those people mm-hmm. in a lot of cases that had affordable housing, by bringing a new market rate. And if someone is in this income level and at some point that project either gets converted to market rate or partial market rate, right. those people can be very quickly on the street, mm-hmm. you know? And so the housing insecurity on top of economic insecurity kind of compounds each other. And then I think about the case, then you guys have probably seen it. And I would love to hear some stories about people that, and, you know, you, you see them in the news, right? Like, oh, this guy was an investment banker and now he's homeless in New York City. Right. 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 Occasionally you see that, right? And then you go, oh, my God, how did, how did the guy fall from Gracie? And I think as a society, we instinctively go, he or she had to have done something wrong. Mm-hmm. Right? We, we like to think that it's like, oh, that person was nefarious or something mm-hmm. like that. Because I think it's, a, it's really a defense mechanism. Mm-hmm. Because we don't want to ever admit to ourselves and look ourselves in the mirror and go, that could be me. Absolutely. Right? So we put up these barriers and we put up these pre-assumptions and these stereotypes because we don't want to talk about the veteran that came back from Iraq Mm -hmm. that couldn't navigate the VA system or didn't have close access. Right? And so some of that's even just getting to the care. Mm Yeah. Yeah. Right. It's not a matter of, you know, hey, their care is not there. And a lot of times the care is there, but it's 30 miles away or it's three bus trips and it's two hour commute. Right. And a two mile walk and a two mile walk in the snow, in the cold. Yeah. And then, you know, these people are working jobs. A lot of times they're hourly wages. So that means they're giving up a day of pay potentially just to get the care that they need. Mm hmm. And I think a lot of us from our points of privilege don't even think about that because, you know, if we need to go to the doctor, oh yeah, you just go to the doctor. No big deal. You still get the same check every, every other week or whatever, or, you know, right. Yeah. And so that's some of the things that I think have been big aha moments for me. And I'm sure that you guys, it's a reality of what you're dealing with every single day, just to get somebody to get the care that they need. Like you said, you walk up to that person and it's not a matter of, Hey, I, oh, this doesn't sound great. But it's, how do I logistically get there? Yeah. How do I consistently, right? And then if you throw on some of the other issues that they're dealing with, you know, it's, that's really difficult. They're transient and, you know, right? Your caseworkers probably have a tremendous load yeah. just helping people get access, mm-hmm. right? Yeah, and, and 
I think if an individual is ready at that moment, you want to jump on that, right? right. And if you don't, then you might lose the opportunity. Mm-hmm. And so you have to have some flexibility in their ability to access and what that looks like, right? So not everybody can schedule an intake, come to that appointment, you know, come to a scheduled meeting time um, and place. I mean, you can work up to that, but, you know, traditional kinds of service go out the window. You have to think outside the box. Mm-hmm. They always say in our field that we're creative. We have to be with the resources that we have. We have to kind of think creatively and how to how to get that. Um, so we have teams that are specialized to serving certain populations that may not be able to come to your traditional outpatient or your traditional office setting and imagine what it's like with schizophrenia to walk sure. into an office setting with you know, people all around and an unfamiliar, you know, situation and not knowing exactly what you need to ask for. Um, it can be extremely overwhelming, mm-hmm. you know, so just being conscientious of that. And I think that's, I, you know, going back to, we have a lot of people that work for adult and child that really their mission is to treat individuals and to work with individuals that have severe and persistent mental illness, youth, all the way to older age individuals um, and, and, you know, that spectrum of service. So I think uh, it is definitely that mission, powerful work that we do, but it's frustrating because there's a lot of systems that impact that. And like you mentioned, we can actually have success housing an individual, but to keep the housing, Mm -hmm. that's also another challenge. How do they then stay in that housing, not get evicted, you know, continue to get supported services while they're housed if you're chronically homeless and you've had uh, not ever been into a housing situation in maybe 10, 15 years, you may not know exactly how to budget, right. Or how to pay your, you know, electrical bill and and some of those things. So I think, and, and then how to keep your annual appointments that keep you housed. I mean, there's a lot of things that go into that, that, that provide barriers that we have to kind of try to help work through. Walk, walk our listeners through a little bit of that, because I think that's one thing that, you know, most people don't understand, right? When you go into these, you know, whatever kind of program or affordable housing, there's certain requirements, right? And they can be different and varying depending on the situation, but it's not just a matter of here's the keys, the voucher gets paid or whatever, you know, right? It's not as simple as that, right? Yes, right. You know, so walk walk our listeners through because I would venture to guess most of our listeners have never been in that situation where they had to understand that. I think there's, it's, it's different for each individual. I can give you a kind of a generic broad example, but you know, in order to apply or rent, you have to have ID identification. Okay. That's your first barrier. So that's a first barrier, right? Right. Cause there's all this stuff about elections and IDs and all that stuff. I don't don't know what the hell they were talking about, but you know, there's, there's that, right. But that's, that's a barrier for some individuals, right? It's a huge barrier. Right. As a matter of fact, you know, talking about our outreach teams, that's something that they do. So they start to work with individuals to obtain IDs in order to get an ID. Guess what you have to have? Social security card. Card or birth certificate. Both of those things. Yep. So, and how do you get a birth certificate and a social social security card without an ID? <laughs> so we yeah. just created. I, a I laughed, problem. but it's yeah. it's kind of like almost a joke, right? Because yeah. you know we've all been in the government office yeah. where they're going like, "Yeah, we can do this, but you need to do this, this, and this." And I'm like, but I need this to do this, this, and this. They're like, yeah. "Well, I don't. Uh, that's what the rule says, <laughs> right? right. You know, all right. Yeah, You're not seems- getting this special stamp of mine, you know? Yeah. So it's it's definitely an issue or problem to work through, and you know, then you have to have an address to mail these items to. So adult and child often helps with that or we will be a central location for some of those items to get sent to and then you know it is to see what's available so it's a housing first model that we typically work under and so that means that they have the right to receive housing not based on any other circumstance so they're not forced into to mental health treatment, substance abuse treatment that they have a right to receive housing Um, so kind of taking an a look at what their wants are, you know, desired location, need to be on a bus bus line. So some of those things. And then some of our individuals we serve have colorful backgrounds. Sure. Um, yeah. And so taking some of those things into consideration of legalities, um, sometimes they owe money. So you can't get into certain apartments until you 
pay. So if it's through, you know, IHA or some of those uh, companies, you have to go back and pay those fees. So sometimes money needs to be, you know, things need to be paid before they can move in. Yeah, right. Mm-hmm. You have de- outstanding, outstanding debts, essentially, debts. right? Yeah. So yep. you got to pay those off first, Yeah. right? Um, and then, you know, even before that, there is a coordinated entry system that we have in Indianapolis. So individuals have to kind of come up on the list through assessments that our staff are doing. Um, and so once they're selected kind of through that coordinated entry system, then the housing process kind of starts. It, it, and it starts also beforehand too. Some individuals have resources that they can start the ha- looking for affordable housing because there's other options too. So I think it's just knowing what all resources are and or knowing who has the key to those resources. And then it's if you are a person who's experienced homelessness and you get you finally get the keys. You get you get through all that process, right. you get the keys. What supplies do you have? Do you have things to clean? Do you right. have you know furniture? Do you have you know those are all then new barriers. Mm-hmm. So then begins the finding of resources and then and then it's the maintaining the housing. So we yeah. do have individuals who are housed and end up receiving eviction or have to move. And so then it's the the circle of trying to keep them housed or keep them, you know, from being evicted or, or you know, trying to assist with that. You know, there's, there's only so much we can do. Right. Um, so that process that you just described, how long does that typically take? can be a long process. So it, it can be a fairly quick process once an individual is moved from that coordinated entry position into uh, into the housing realm. So, you know, it could take two to three months to find good housing or a suitable housing, and then they have to pass those housing inspections and, and things have to be kind of at standard. And, and so that's, you know, some of the things that we take a look at. But mm-hmm. It can take a long time from just our staff doing homeless outreach to build that trust. Right. So it, it, it really does vary. It could be several years. It could be, you know, very quick. It mm-hmm. yeah. just depends on yeah. the situation, right? Yeah. And when you start working with somebody, you have no idea. No. Right? You have no idea. You know? I mean, there's some things like, oh, you have an ID. Great. We're past that mm-hmm. part, right? But then, you know, like you said, there's there's debts that maybe have to be discharged, things like that. That, you know, to somebody that's homeless, that's probably not making consistent income. Right. You know, right? Like, it, so it's, it, there's just a lot of just gotchas yeah. along the way that somebody that's in a very vulnerable position that's kind of at, maybe at the lowest low. I mean, that's, that's almost like climbing Everest yeah. in a lot of cases just to get to that point. And then, like you said, maintaining it mm-hmm. after the fact yeah. can be a challenge in and of itself. And not Every individual, you know, right to self-determination, not every individual is ready to be housed Mm -hmm. or, you know, is ready to move in that direction. And so that also is, you know, something to take into consideration. So we run into that as well. Yeah. (laughs) Wow. There's a lot of challenges in your jobs and a lot of, I would think, difficult days that you have. Can you share maybe two of each one of you, like your favorite person that you've helped or your favorite day at work or just so we can like end on a yeah Kate um, really helps us with mission moments so she has the luxury of knowing a lot of our mission moments throughout the organization so I don't know if you have one that sticks out that you want to share oh man We've adopted Kate into our teams as well. I invite Kate to lots of different things that our yeah. teams are doing. Oh, yeah. I mean, that actually, that, that kind of gave me an idea of one. Um, yeah. yeah. So I had the opportunity to go to a memorial service for individuals experiencing homelessness who'd passed away in Indianapolis throughout the year. That was around Christmas time. Yeah. Last year. And that was so that was a big mission moment for me because I got to learn more about Jen's team and the services that they provide. But I also got to step outside my own privilege for a moment and just get to experience just get to learn more about the homeless population in Indianapolis, how they listed out every individual's name. And that kind of helps you see, you know, I think for a lot of people, they just it's these nameless, faceless people on the street. And that's so not the truth. You know, these individuals have names, they have backgrounds, they have histories that our staff are working with every day. And I, I found out that our staff, you know, 
work with these individuals on a first name basis. A lot of times, you know, they, they will approach these individuals on the street and they have a rapport with them. They, they know them, the individuals know our staff's names and just getting to see that I think for me has been a really cool experience to know. Like, obviously this was a very, a very profound and deep event that we went to the memorial service, but just Mm -hmm. knowing that ANC is doing what we can to help those people in, in the gaps. And I appreciated that you came out because it is um, a somber and yeah. very sad uh, situation. So I think I think that it it shows sometimes that with all efforts, you know, some things are out of our control. Right. Um, but I do think that there. Uh, I just appreciate that our mission and, and the work that we do at ANC really takes care and concern of every individual, literally every individual we serve. There's so much work that happens behind the scenes with um, myself as a vice president, uh, Alan Brown as a CEO. He is on a floor right now because we have small space and he has seen a lot of our clients come in. He has interactions, you know, so you don't get that with a lot of CEOs. And and I think it's just, it's very powerful. He jokes that he thinks he's part of, I mean, it's probably not a joke because he is kind of part of the team. So he's part of the team and he's helping sometimes triage crisis. So I think, you know, those are awesome moments that are happening behind the scenes that not many people see, Um, you know, and we have had so many individuals. uh, We have a a very robust addictions team, addiction services, and we have doctors and interns and and such go out on street outreach to meet individuals where they're at. So I think it's just very powerful. We serve just a large population. We serve a lot of individuals that are housed, but still they have housing insecurity and, and not always knowing Um, what's going to happen. So I think that seeing more and more housing developments happen um, that are focused on affordable housing for individuals that we work, I'm I'm table pounding, pounding. Um, but uh, you know, that is, that is good to see in my career. I've, like I said, 22 years, seen it all. Actually, I probably haven't. I just jinxed myself. I'm probably going to see something really amazing. Oh, yeah. Or, Don't or worry. Whatever. <laughs> but, but, you know, I think the availability of housing continues to grow. The need also continues to grow. So yeah. it's hard to catch up. So your statistics just recently, you know, talking about the, the how much is put in there. It seems to be there's so many projects happening, but yeah. it's hard to keep up. Right. It's right. true because we're behind. Behind. And yeah. then it continues to grow, right? I mean, that's just the reality of it. And I think it's it's it takes a collective effort. Mm-hmm. Just like you guys mentioned, you can't solve as much as your instincts want to solve for whatever problem every person that comes through your door. Right. You you can't, mm-hmm. right? But if we do it collectively, we do it as a community, we work together, we listen. Yeah. We can we can we can put a good dent in it. Yeah. We may not get 100% there day 1. Yeah. But, you know, and I think about where ANC's you know, clinic and, and headquarters is moving right across the street, part of a $60 million mm-hmm. kind of complete um, affordable housing plus ANC's clinic, just a nice, huge project. And we talk about access for a lot of those people that are going to be in that prod, you know, that yeah. housing uh, affordable uh, development. It's going to be right across the street. Yeah. It's going to be on the red line. So yeah. you guys are going to have prime bus access. And I, and I That's think huge. it's, it's huge, mm-hmm. right? Because the access is one of the big hurdles. Yeah that you guys face. And and the reality is, is as much as I think you guys would love to have food truck type vans that, you know, like come pick people up and say, Oh yeah, I want to help. And you go, perfect. The bus is coming. Right. (laughs) (laughs) Throw them in. (laughs) You know, it's not feasible necessarily to to run it that way. As much as, you know, some days if you said money was no object, we could do that. My outreach team would love that. So if we have any big donors that want (laughs) to fund some buses, yeah, fund some buses, they would, they would drive them and do a pickup. (laughs) No, it is nice that we're going to be on the, the red line and, and have, that's a great location. Just, in general and it's um, all being developed for that purpose so it's like we're excited can't wait to get in there so how can our listeners support help adult and child health mission whether with their time or their resources or whatever money well i know (laughs) you can solicit for money too how can we donate (laughs) that's important yeah well we do have a website adult and child 
.org. Yep. Thank you. <laughs> I don't get on it as much because it's already there. Adultandchild.org. There is an opportunity, I think, to say donate. And yes. then if there's a link that can be utilized, we have quite a few donors that donate that way. And so that is one way. We are always looking for people that have this passion in their heart. So if this fills your fulfills your mission and you're looking for a new career, changing career, same, you can get on our website and apply. There's so many positions out there that are very varied in our organization from medical to behavioral health to homeless services so we got we got a variety of things definitely and even marketing right of course and touching on that a bit as well you know anc is we always we have a heart for helping our community but i think anc is also very good at nurturing and helping employees thrive as well i've seen and heard stories about a lot of staff members who maybe start out as a counselor or some type of therapist and have kind of risen through the ranks or switched teams or kind of jumped around a little bit to find the place within the organization that fits them the best. And I think that's really cool to see as well, because once you're part of the team, if you're bought into our mission, you know, it doesn't matter whether you're helping us as a skills-based therapist or if you're on the marketing team, like if you're seeing the mission reflected in yourself is the most important part. So we'll find the position that is going to help you make the most of that. And I think that's been really cool for me to see. Another thing we are always looking for individuals who individuals and families who are interested in fostering specifically the the young teen to sort of that age range, you know, a lot of people, when they think about individuals who need foster, they think about the, the cute little kids and babies. And obviously we have some of those as well, but the primary need is for those, the, the slightly older kids who are a little bit more difficult to house. Yeah. Um, we have a great fostering licensing agents marketing person, and I think the need for foster parents has continued to rise. Foster parent or parents, it mm-hmm. can be one or, or two. And and so, you know, I think that is always something that we're looking for. Referrals, self-referrals, you know, there's other agencies that do licensing, but I think we do it the best. There so, you go. Yeah. That's right. Mm-hmm. So there's a lot of ways people can help, right? There's, yeah. the, I mean, just you know, like fostering as an example. Yeah. And like you mentioned, you know, the 12 to 16, 17 18, year olds, yeah. right. 18 years yeah. old. That's, you know, I mean, it's, it's an area of need. Those, those kids need good homes too. Yeah. One of our uh, staff members said something that kind of struck me was, you know, a lot of people are a little bit uh, scared of that age range because, Oh, you know, they're teenagers or they think that you know, once you get into that age, you're a, an individual who's making more of your own decisions. You yeah. might be getting into trouble at school or have like a, a kind of scary background. But the thing is like, they're still teenagers. Like they're, yeah, they're still it's kids. A, yeah. It's a teenager, just like any other teenager you'd meet. And ultimately you just have to have the compassion for what that child might be going through and mm-hmm. be willing to provide a safe space for them in the, in the gap of what they might be experiencing with their family. Yeah. Quickly. Can you talk about how you can become a foster parent? Like what it takes the prereqs? Uh, I can tell you a little bit. It's okay. not my complete area. Got it. Of expertise, no, we, can tell, on the spot. we can tell you how to find that information. There you go. Um, but there is a home assessment that it's completed. There's background checks. So all of our foster parents go through background checks and then there's continuing education that they have to continue to expose themselves to be therapeutic foster care placement. I will say that we provide support services to those foster parents throughout their fostering experience as well. So they're not in it alone. It's a team effort. We provide a lot of those trainings um, for continuing education. And then, you know, the support throughout that process. So, you know, I think those are some basics. I don't know if you know anything different, Kate. I'm... It's escaping me right now. It's all on our website. If you go to IndieFosterCare.org, mm-hmm. you can either go to IndieFosterCare.org or AdultAndChild.org. Either one will get you to the right place if you just click the Foster Care button on our main website. But there's general requirements like having appropriate bed space and all that stuff. But of course. It's yeah. all on the website. Yeah. I think that goes through, you know, that inspect. That, so they do an assessment uh-huh. and yeah. inspection. Right. And so, right. you know, the, it has to meet exactly right. How many beds for how many individuals that you're willing to foster. And I think, you know, we have... Uh, through that uh, some presence on Facebook and Instagram that are specific to our foster licensing agency. So I think, you know, it's definitely something that has to fit into to your mission. Know that we are a therapeutic foster placing agency. So a lot of those individuals that we're placing have therapeutic needs. So mental health, behavioral health, medical needs. And so it's a little different than some other organizations. So I, th- I think we have some very touching stories from some of our foster 
parents. And then our board chair is also a previous fostering family. So Tom Gaunt. And so they have quite a few stories that they share um, and they've adopted too as well. So, And that's part of the benefit of us being with a foster care licensing agency and the FQHC, um, CCBHC. Like we have all those linkages to supports for those individuals that are in the foster system with us. So, you know, if you have, if you're fostering a child who has those additional behavioral health needs, they might be seeing one of our school-based therapists. So it's all kind of centralized and we try to provide that entire comprehensive care to those individuals because that's ultimately going to help them in their journey if they're not trying to connect all those missing pieces (laughs) of healthcare across different providers. We provide it all in one spot. That's great. Wow. Awesome. So one last question for both of you. This is not on the topic of ANSA. Okay. (laughs) Go. So tell us one thing you're obsessed with streaming right now. What show are you watching? I like to get our audience to get to know you guys a little bit better. Okay, I'll go first. So streaming, like visually watching wise. I mean, it could be um, anything. You could talk about streaming. You could talk oh, about listen, a podcast. I could go or, on for days, but I'm watching RuPaul's Drag Race. So we got we to gotta keep up to date on that. But the main <laughs> thing that I'm streaming is I listen to a lot of podcasts. So oh. I've been listening to Maintenance Phase lately, which is they kind of debunk and break down different health myths and um, oh, interesting. talk about how, you know, just the different misconceptions we have about obesity and the New York Times and the uh, the trans debate that's going right. on right now, stuff like that. So kind of focusing on different aspects of healthcare cool. and viewing it from a very straightforward point of view. And I think that's been really interesting and educational for me. I enjoy that. What was that hmm. podcast called? Maintenance? Maintenance phase. Maintenance. Interesting. All right, yeah. Jen. What about you? In my free time, which is very little, um, I <laughs> actually not streaming anything particularly right now. I do listen to a lot of murder podcasts. Oh, okay. Uh, True Those crime. Yes. But I just watched The Whale, Whale. with Brandon Frazier. Oh, I Oh, interesting. Yeah. Cried my heart out. I mean, it was such a, he has performance. So I'm a movie buff in general, if I could put a movie on. And I also multitask pretty much all the time, but I recommend it was. I've heard that is really good. good. The whale. Mm -hmm. The whale. Okay. Those are great recommendations. Go, go see it. Go watch it. There we go. Well, Jen and Kate, thank you so much for coming on the podcast today. It's been just wonderful to get to know you both a first off and then B just do a little bit deeper dive into what adult and child does and and all those amazing services. So to all of our listeners, remember adult and child health dot or just daltonchild.org. Yes. Follow them on Instagram, LinkedIn, Facebook, Twitter, all the major platforms, like share, please do. And obviously there's other ways so you can get involved all on their website. And we have a new website coming soon. So Ooh, a little on, teaser to end there it on. Are. I like I it. Be on the lookout for that. <laughs> yeah. Thank you for having us. Thank you. You're welcome. All right. And to all our listeners, until next time. If you like what you heard, please hit subscribe on your favorite podcast platform. And don't forget to like or follow us on LinkedIn and YouTube at Urban Foundry Podcast.